0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love how God will reveal Himself through things like pottery. You know, when you look at just how a potter works and all of the things that go into shaping and crafting and making something like that. And then there's just always kind of an analogy, a spiritual analogy, a way that you can kind of connect with what um, God may be doing in your life as the potter, as you're kind of the clay in his hands. I remember when Janie and I got married, one of the things that we did during our, our wedding celebration was we had taken communion together. And so we had found this plate and cup that had come from Jerusalem. And so we had used it in the service. At some point after we had gotten married, the cup broke. I don't know if it tipped over or what happened, but the, the, the cup broke. And thankfully, it was a pretty clean cut or break. So we were able to take that piece and to really kind of glue that Back together, and it really made the cup stronger than ever. And the, the great thing about that was was that um, we knew it had been broken, but the way that it was repaired, you really could not see it at all. It was just you know that well put back together and there just are times where God's able to take things that have broken us in life and God's able to repair it uh, in a way that we know it's there and we know we're stronger because of it but sometimes other people aren't always aware um, of that so there's just all these great analogies I think of when I when I read that story in scripture or I see something that's talking about you know the great potter and how we are clay uh, in his hands And so for these last several weeks, we've kind of really been touching upon the fact of how the very first Christians and the very first church uh, got started. And we've kind of been looking at what can we learn um, from those very first century uh, Christ-following trailblazers. And throughout the series, we've been looking at how the very first Christians in that very first church functioned. As a church, how this movement of Jesus uh, came to launch uh, through his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And last week, we kind of talked about that this movement was kind of launched, and it was built around a very simple and yet a very profound and powerful message and that message is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead it was that simple yet powerful message that kind of galvanized and propelled those first century Christians just as it has every century since Not only was this a powerful message, it also had powerful ramifications for those who believed as well as those who did not. And we've been looking at the New Testament book of Acts because it is essentially a historical record of how those first Christians in that first church in the first century functioned. And last week we talked about how the first church prayed big prayers. You heard Deb read it. We recited it. Uh, Together, again, asking God, not for protection, not for safety, we were asking God for great boldness in preaching his word. I'll tell you, we've gotten to where we are in a country because the church has been playing it safe and quiet for too long. That is not how first century Christians function. They weren't safe. They weren't quiet. They were bold in preaching the word of God. And not only that, they asked that God would stretch forth his hand in miraculous signs and wonders, not in the church, not among believers, but that God would do that out in the marketplace, out in the workplace, out in your neighborhood, among your unbelieving friends, that God would reveal himself and establish his power and presence through signs, miracles, and wonders as a testimony to those unbelievers that there is a God. And that's how those first century Christians prayed. This morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and we're going to talk about a very pivotal and a very climactic moment where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells those who have embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior and how he empowers and equips them to continue the work of the kingdom of God, which Jesus established and began in his earthly ministry. Now, what you'll kind of find is as you read through the whole of Scripture is there is this very steady, gradual progression throughout Scripture. And it starts clear back there in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And each act, God kind of builds upon the previous act until we finally reach what seems to be the climactic pivotal moment where the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and in power, indwelling believers beginning there in Acts chapter 2. And through that, God begins to reproduce the kingdom of God upon the earth, just as it was in the earthly ministry of Jesus. So you have in very simple terms, the Old Testament, which basically kind of just demonstrates God is for us, that God has a plan for the redemption of mankind. And you find that right after the fall of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, God kind of reveals and he initiates this plan of redemption. And we find that in the words there of Genesis 3.15. He says, he, and he's referring to the Redeemer Messiah. He says, he will strike your head. And he's talking to the serpent there that deceived Adam and Eve. He said, he's going to strike your head and you're going to strike his heel. And that was fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ. So at that point, we kind of find ourselves lost in sin and rebellion. And in the midst of that, God just lays out this beautiful, brilliant, divine plan um, and covenants to send a redeemer who is going to uh, rescue mankind from the power and the penalty of sin. So so God kind of reveals himself throughout the Old Testament that he is for us. And then the scripture says at the right time, at the perfect time, at the perfect moment in history, God sends his son Jesus as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament prophesied and predicted and promised God would do in sending his Redeemer. So now you have this God who's been showing himself throughout the Old Testament that he is for us, but now through his son Jesus, He now reveals himself in in a new way as Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Jesus, God in human flesh, lives among us as a full human being for the first 30 years of his life and in relative, you know, uh, quiet and, and unknown. And around the age of 30, it says he's baptized and as he comes out of the water, The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, it comes and descends upon him. And the father affirms him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus goes forth uh, and he begins to manifest the kingdom of God upon the earth. We sang about that this morning. Here as it is in heaven, Jesus begins to bring heaven to earth. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes. So three and a half years later, Jesus is crucified. He takes our place. And by that, I mean our sins, your sins, my sins, all of them were completely laid upon Jesus. And in doing that, Jesus takes not only our sins, but he also takes and receives the punishment that was due because of those sins that were intended for us. Jesus takes not just our sin, but he also takes the punishment that was intended for us. And he takes it upon himself. So you, you have this God in the Old Testament who is for us. You have God in, in the person of Jesus Christ who is now with us. And you uh, add to that now that you have crucified Jesus and that is God in our place or God as us. And I want you to notice that each one of these progressions, starting there, God is for us, God is with us, you know, God as us. Each progression becomes more and more powerful than the last, and it is building towards something bigger and better each time. So three days later, Jesus is resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, again, demonstrating and proving that he is the Son of God, having satisfied the wrath of God uh, in relation to sin. That's propitiation. That simply means God was totally satisfied um, through the death of Jesus Christ that our sins were paid in full. And so through the resurrection he removes the barrier that existed between god and mankind and, and jesus literally throws open the door to unfettered uh, access and fellowship with the father and again so i want you to notice each progression as it builds each one um it it, it uh, uh becomes better than the last so in the old testament god is for us In uh, the person of Jesus Christ, it uh, became flesh. It is God is with us, Emmanuel. His crucifixion uh, is God as us, or God takes our place. And in the resurrection, it is God is before us with eternal life, with forgiveness, salvation. And then 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And now he is God Over us, because the scripture says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is making intercession for you. Jesus is praying for you and I. And I'll guarantee you, Jesus prays perfect prayers. And every prayer that Jesus prays gets answered. So in the ascension now, he is God over us, interceding for us. And again, it's important to remember. And understand, this was really confusing and perplexing to the disciples at this time. I mean, they're kind of thinking as all of this is taking place, why can't Jesus... Just have stayed here with us. Why did he have to go? Why can't you just remain here with us? It's better for us, Jesus, if you remain here. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's actually gonna be better for you that I leave and that I go to the Father because when I go to the Father, I can send the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter two, just as Jesus promised, the promised Holy Spirit comes and it indwells those first Christians uh, in that first church. and now you have the most current progression and that is God in us. So again, let's go back to that. God is for us. That's the Old Testament. God's there in the Old Testament. He's for us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Crucified, God as us. Resurrected, God before us. Ascended, God over us. Pentecost, God in us us and I want you to know God in us it doesn't get any better than that it doesn't get any better this side of heaven than God in us and that's what Pentecost was all about what started there in the Old Testament God is for us it eventually builds and builds and builds until the climax comes the pivotal moment now is God is in us and it doesn't get any better than that This is ultimately what God was after. It's what he wanted to achieve in creating us, bringing us, and positioning us his temple, his dwelling place. God has created you to be his temple where his Holy Spirit dwells and resides and rests in us. And the reason for that is because then when the Holy Spirit is in us, working and operating in and through us, It is empowering us to do the works that Jesus did, but we're gonna be able to do greater works, not in terms of what Jesus did, but just in terms of quantity, because it's not just one person now, Jesus with the Holy Spirit working in and through him. It's now all of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit that we are now able to bring and to do the works uh, that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Now, I've used this analogy several times before, but again, it's a great example of what I'm talking about here every one of us will probably leave this place this morning and we're going to probably go somewhere for lunch let me just ask you this question will lunch be more beneficial with you or in you Now again there's certainly benefits of having food with you i mean i you know i love like fajitas are are great especially when they bring them out on that sizzling plate and they set that plate down and that aroma kind of just reaches your nose it's just a great smell Um, but again as, as beneficial as that is is no matter how appetizing it looks It's really not going to be as beneficial as when you begin to partake of that food, when you get that food in you. It is more beneficial to have the food in you than simply with you. It's why communion, we don't just come up and look at the bread and look at the juice. It it, it benefits us when we actually take that, dip it in the juice and and receive it unto ourselves. Again, it is is an acknowledgement that God is in us. Does that make sense? Good, thank you. So why Pentecost? I mean, why, why is God building up to this moment where he sends the Holy Spirit? And the simple answer is, so the kingdom of God would and could come upon the earth just as it has in heaven. We sang about that this morning just as it did when Jesus walked upon the earth those three and a half years of his ministry. And that's the whole purpose of Pentecost. So the kingdom of God would be manifested upon the earth, not just in one man, Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, but now multitudes of believers who are filled with the Spirit of God, just like Jesus was doing what Jesus did. And God wants his kingdom to operate upon the earth, and the only way that is going to happen was for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus was. Now, one of the miscalculations and and excuses, oftentimes I hear, you know, when we talk about Jesus kind of being the the standard bearer of that, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill him, to empower him, and enable him to bring heaven to earth. Oftentimes, our excuse uh, for why we don't feel we can do that is because, well, Jesus is God. And yes, Jesus is God. 100% God, fully God. But the scriptures also say he's fully man. Fully God, fully man. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus recognized his, you know, being God, his divine nature in human flesh. He recognized that. But Paul says that he, he willingly laid that aside. He laid aside his rights, his claim as God, and it says he humbled himself and took on the role of a servant. So Jesus does all that he does in those three and a half years of ministry. And again, it's not God doing it. Paul says he laid that right aside. He laid that privilege aside. And he did all that he did in his earthly ministry as a servant, as a human being filled, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And he does that as an example for those of us who would become followers of Jesus and filled with the Spirit as he was. And Jesus said, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you will know you can do the same thing. Only greater works are you going to do because there will be more people doing it than just me. And again, the only way for the kingdom of God to be manifested upon the earth, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus was. Now Jesus links the manifestation of the kingdom of God upon the earth with his presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason he does that is because there's no other way I don't care what you try to do there's no other way to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth without the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit on one occasion Jesus said this in Matthew 12 28 and he's speaking to the Pharisees he's speaking to religious people And and, and he's speaking to them in regards to the casting out of a demon. And he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit there, he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And one of the ways the kingdom of God wants to manifest itself upon the earth is through the casting out of demons by those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus did. And and what it is, it is, it is a sign to others that, um, that the kingdom of God has now come, that the kingdom of God is here. So again, we talked about this last week. When when signs, miracles, and wonders begin to happen, not just inside the church, but I would say more importantly, outside the church, among your workplace, among unbelievers, when when the kingdom of God begins to manifest itself in signs, miracles, and wonders, it, it is a testimony to an unbeliever that God is real and the kingdom of God has come. It is here. It's undeniable. There is a God. A few chapters later, Jesus makes an amazing statement in Matthew 21, 43. And again, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's giving them a parable about a landowner. And he says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. I'm going to read this again. And I want you to pay close attention. Therefore, I say to you, He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's also speaking to you and I. He is giving them a warning. He is giving us a warning. And it is this. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And it will be given to a people producing the fruit of it. If we as a body of believers. If we as a church are not producing the fruit, the manifestation of the kingdom of God, Jesus says it will be taken from us and it will be given to those who will produce it. There is fruit God wants to produce upon this earth, and that fruit is the manifestation of the kingdom of God through believers filled and operating in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And the casting out of demons is one fruit. Do you realize there are people all over Mason City that are filled with demons? When you see people who are acting weird, they're acting all crazy. They're maybe walking down the street talking to themselves or, or they're cursing out loud. They're just going nuts. Do you realize what they're manifesting there are demons? And you and I, we have been, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, do you realize you've been given the authority and the power to release that person not just stand there and gawk at them or make fun of them or, or judge them. We're given the Holy Spirit so that we can cast that demon out of them that they can come into their right mind. That, that's, that's producing the fruit of the kingdom. And again, the church has remained safe and quiet for far too long. This is where we need boldness to preach the word of God. To go out there and to begin to take authority over the things we've been given authority over. And to begin to rebuke the things we've been given the power to rebuke. To deliver people from the things we've been given the power to deliver them from. That's what the church is here for. We are here to instruct. We are here to teach you how to take the kingdom of God and to produce it out there it's fine to do it in here there's a purpose and a place for that but we can't just leave it here we've got to be able to take this and to begin to reproduce that out in the community so what are some of the other fruits of the kingdom of God physical healing is a fruit of the kingdom of God when people experience physical healing, it is a demonstration, it is a witness that the kingdom of God has come among them. And Jesus instructed his disciples in Luke 9, beginning in verse 1, then Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. That, that's the, those are those demons that are manifesting themselves out there on the streets of Mason City and other cities all across America. I I see videos of things that are happening in places like Portland and Seattle where there's just streets and streets of people who are nothing but zombies. They're demon-filled people. We, the church, Holy Spirit-filled people have been given authority and power to go and to release them from the stronghold of the enemy that they're under. So he gives his disciples and he gives them power and authority over all devils. And again, that's one of the manifestations that the kingdom of God is in operation. And then to cure diseases, another manifestation that the kingdom of God is in full operation. And again, one of the ways that an unbelieving people would know the kingdom of God was upon them and manifesting among them was through people being healed of sickness and disease. That's why oftentimes when Jesus would heal somebody, it said the multitudes would begin to glorify God. It it pointed people towards their heavenly father. So the kingdom of God, it will manifest itself in power over demons through physical healing. Let me give you one more, salvation, salvation. One of the fruits that the kingdom of God is manifesting itself upon the earth will be through people being born again. And Jesus said in John 3, he's speaking to Nicodemus, a very religious ruler. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot, you will not see the kingdom of God. And then two verses later, Jesus says it again. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and in the spirit. Jesus said in Mark 1:15, he said, the time promised by God has come at last. It's here. Jesus announced the kingdom of God is now near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. We're going to talk about that good news here in a moment. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is one of the ways the kingdom of God will seek to manifest itself upon the earth. So God is looking for people. He's looking for believers, churches, gatherings, congregations, just like those, that very first church in the very first century, who are hungry, who are earnest for the fruit and manifestation of the kingdom of God upon the earth. And it says, if he doesn't find it here, He will just move on and look for it elsewhere. God wants to manifest the kingdom of God through this church, through this body of believers as we just yield, as we surrender, as we give ourselves to him and allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. So this morning, I believe the Spirit of God wants to manifest the kingdom of God in three ways in this place. I'll only get to the first one this morning, we'll get to the other two next week. First, the kingdom of God wants to come upon us through salvation. I start here because if you're not born again, nothing else will make sense. Unless you're born again, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to understand any other spiritual concept. It begins by becoming born again. I've told you this many, many times. I I grew up in the Lutheran church. I read the Bible. I studied the Bible. I understood none of it. I asked questions, good questions, uh, trying to figure out how to be saved. Uh, I, I didn't know. And it wasn't until I was born again. I'm telling you, the moment I was born again, I mean, the the minute I was born again, I could pick up the word of God, I could read it and I could understand it. God opened my eyes. And, and it had to start with salvation. If you are not born again, and you're trying to read this and it makes no sense to you, it's because you're not born again. You get born again, uh, you get filled with God's spirit, and he will open your eyes, open your ears. He will begin to reveal this to you in ways it's never been revealed to you, in ways it will never be revealed to you apart from salvation. So, there may be those of you here that have never asked Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins, uh, to let Jesus be Lord and Savior of your lives. I, what I want to do this morning, what, what little time we have left here this morning, is I want to I tell you the good news, and I want to tell you the good news for those of you that need to hear it. Maybe you're going to hear this for the first time. I'm also sharing this for those of you that are seasoned Christians Folks, we've got to know not only are we saved, but how do we help others get saved? Just as someone, uh, God used a a Methodist pastor to, to, to share the gospel truth with me, and it was through that man's lips through his words that uh, I was able to hear the good news and I was able to respond to the good news and I was born again. God needs us to share the good news but many of us are afraid to do this because we just feel like we don't understand it well enough. Well I'm going to walk you through it this morning because I want you to begin to become comfortable that if someone comes to you and doesn't know how to become a Christian you have a way to, to, to help them understand that. So uh, Romans chapter 10 It provides great, it gives the greatest clarity uh, regarding the issue and the plan of salvation. In verse 1 there in Romans 10, Paul begins by saying, dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to believers, he says, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Now, Paul also was sent to the Gentiles. So the desire that Paul had for the Jews to be saved, for the Israelites to be saved, Paul had that same desire, drive, and heart for Gentiles. So, so Paul had a heart for everyone to be saved. And he said, I know what enthusiasm they have. Now, he's talking again about religious people, people like Nicodemus, the religious leaders, uh, those that were uh, in the uh, uh, temple, those that crucified him. He's talking about these people, these religious people. They had enthusiasm for God, but he said it was misdirected zeal. There are a lot of very religious people who are not born again because they've got misdirected zeal. He said, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. That's the problem. They've rejected God's way of making people right with themselves. We do the same thing. Well, I'm just gonna be a good person. You know, I'll go to church every Sunday I'll read my Bible, I'll pray. We, we come up with all of these ways. I'll teach Sunday school, I'll sing on the choir, I'll, I'll be a part of the worship team. That is my plan, that is my way to salvation. And Paul recognizes the Jews, the, the religious Jews, they had a way, their way of how they were gonna get to God, but it wasn't God's way, it wasn't God's plan. And so Paul's recognizing here, they don't understand God's way of making people right. God has a way of making people right with himself. And he says, refusing. They rejected. Said, no, thank you. I'll do it my way. Someone should make a song about that. Said, refusing to accept God's way. They cling. They tenaciously hold to God their own way of getting right with god by trying to keep the law i'll go to church every sunday that's my law i'll read my bible five minutes a day that's my law i'll do this i'll do that that's my way of getting right with god basically, when we do that, when we try to come up with our own way of getting right with God, we're refusing, we're rejecting God's way. He says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. He said that as a result, all who believe in Christ are made right with God. It's that simple. All who believe in Christ are made right with God. Does that mean I don't have to go to church? You still need to go to church, but that's not what made you right with God. You go to church because you're right with God. Does that mean I have to stop reading my Bible? No, you're not reading the Bible to get made right with God. You're reading the Bible because you're right with God. Does it make sense? For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands, all 635 of them, perfectly all the time. If you break one just one time, you're guilty of the whole thing. That's keeping the law. And that's what Moses talked about. If if you're gonna come to God through your own righteousness, it better be perfect, complete, total righteousness. You break just one of those 635 commandments one time, you're guilty as if you've broken all of them all the time. So he says, if you're gonna do it by the way of the law, know what the law requires and it's impossible. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? Now, what's he talking about? he's He's saying here, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? We don't need to do that. It's already been done. It was called the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. God became flesh. God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to earth. It's already been done. We don't need to have it done again. We don't need to look for someone else to do it. Jesus already did it. That's what he's saying. And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? We don't have to do it again. It's already been done. It's, it was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we celebrate at Easter. So we don't need to bring him down and we don't need to raise him from the dead. It's already been done. In fact, it says the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and it's in your heart. I don't know how it can get any closer than that. It's that same, but we're a snake and bitcha. Okay? The message is on your lips and on your heart and that message is the very message that we preach. So now, here's the message. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And again, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's it. He says, when you do that, when you just speak the word, Jesus is Lord. You can whisper it. You can shout it. He just says, when you make that confession with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, it produces something. And he said, it it results in, it produces, it manifests salvation. So when an unbeliever comes to me and says, how can I be saved? The first thing I say to them is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Because the scripture teaches that that those three words will result and they will manifest salvation. And then, once they've done that, then just believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, because that also manifests and results in something. That's what makes you right with God. And that's what people are after. They're after righteousness. I want to be right with God. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have a friendship with God. And it says, when you believe in your heart, And again, maybe maybe you don't. One of the best prayers I've seen an unbeliever make was when that man said to Jesus, help my unbelief. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Then the prayer you need to pray is God, help my unbelief. So you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You articulate that, you speak that out. And then you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. And Paul said, you shall be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you are made right with God. Are are you getting this? Do you understand this? Now let me ask you this. Do you understand it well enough to tell somebody else that maybe doesn't know? That's where we've got to start learning the message of the good news that we can take what we have believed and we've acted upon, we've activated this, and now I can take this and begin to share this with an unbeliever. What I often find most times is when an unbeliever comes up to a believer and says, how do I be saved? Their response is, well, let's go talk to my pastor. No, God brought them to you. You talk to them. You pray for them you cast the demons out of them. You pray for their healing because you have the same Holy Spirit I have. You have the same Holy Spirit Jesus had and you can do what he did. You don't need to bring them to me. You tell them the good news. And you do it by learning this. I I spend time studying this. I spend time looking at this over and over and over to the point where I'm very, very familiar with this. I understand what Paul's talking about here. And I I believe it is the way of salvation. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect, meaning everybody's the same. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do we call upon? What, what, when, when we call upon someone, what do we say? Jesus is Lord. And who's the name of the Lord? Jesus, that's his name. If you understand what these 13 verses mean there in Romans 10, not only have I laid out for you, I hope, very, very clearly, very concisely, the plan of salvation, but this is the message we are also given to share with those who are lost. Every, I would understand this, every person, I don't care how lost they may be, I don't care how demon-filled, I don't care how demonic they may be. Every person has the same advantage when it comes to receiving the gift of salvation. Every single person who has ever lived, I want you to understand that message of salvation is very close at hand. You can take the worst sinner and the message of salvation is very, very close at hand. As a matter of fact, Paul says it is on their lips. They just need to speak it. They just need to activate it. Jesus is Lord. It's there on their lips. It's in their heart. It's already there. We just got to teach them to activate it, to, to step out, activate that faith that Jesus was raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The only difference are those who act upon it and those who refuse it and says, I'm gonna to come to God on my terms in my own way. And Paul says that there are people that are clinging to their own ways of getting right with God. They refuse this. They will not accept what the scriptures are saying. So when you confess with your mouth the words that are already on your lips, when you vocalize the words, Jesus is Lord, you take those words on your lips, you speak them out, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says, in that moment, you are saved and when you believe in your heart again because it's already there in your heart solomon said in ecclesiastes chapter 3 that god has placed eternity in the hearts of men god has placed eternity in the hearts of every man woman and child it's there we just have to activate it we just have to act on it god put it there And we just have to activate that belief by faith that you believe God raised him from the dead, that heartfelt belief. It says in that moment, you're made right with God. Man, when I understood this, and it took me a while, I had to hear this a couple times. And man, when when it hit, it hit. And I knew that I was born again. When you understand that process, not only will it save you, it will save others that we share it with. So this morning, I just, I'm going to just close. I'm just going to ask every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just uh, want you just to take a moment and reflect upon what I'm saying. If you're here this morning and you have never, ever confessed those words, Jesus is Lord. You've never spoken them out uh, in your mouth, by your mouth this morning. And you don't have to scream it. It, Even just to whisper those words, Jesus is Lord. If you've never done that this morning, those words are very, very close on your lips this morning. And all you need to say is Jesus is Lord. And the scripture says in that moment, you'll be saved. And then God wants to activate faith in your heart this morning to believe that he raised his son Jesus from the dead. And when you believe that, that's what makes you right with God this morning. If you've never, ever done that this morning, and maybe in this moment right now, you're just, you're speaking those words. You're making that confession with your mouth this morning. Jesus is Lord. And this morning, Father, I believe, or I ask you, Father, to give me the faith to believe Jesus said to Doubting Thomas, he said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. You don't need to see Jesus resurrected. All you need to do is believe. And Jesus says, you'll be blessed by believing that even though you didn't see it. So if you're here this morning and maybe you don't believe that. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll release faith into their hearts this morning, Father, that they can believe that you raised Christ from the dead. And through that belief, you'll make them right with you. If you've never ever done that this morning, you're doing that for the first time this morning, you've just spoken that word out. Again, I come against any rebellion in this place this morning. I come against any disbelief in this place this morning. I come against any spirit that would be forcing you or causing you or enabling you to cling to your own way of salvation, to your own way of getting right with God this morning. I come against that. I rebuke that and you're doing that for the first time here this morning, I just simply want you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to identify you. I'm not going to call you out. It's just a way of me knowing that the kingdom of God is being manifested in this place this morning. If you've never done that, and you want to do that this morning, I just want you to slip up your hand. Amen. Amen. God sees that. God recognizes that. God honors his word. As you've raised your hand, God's honoring his word. You are saved. You are made right with him this morning. So Father, we just thank you that the kingdom of God is being manifested in this place this morning through salvation. Father, I pray for individuals this morning that are responding to this, Lord, that you would just, again, make this very, very real to their hearts this morning. God, I pray for those that are are maybe in a place of just continued rebellion this morning, that God, they've heard the truth, but they just won't do it. Father God, I pray that you'll just soften their hearts this morning, that God, you'll open the eyes of their heart this morning, God, that they would hear your voice, that they would feel your kindness this morning. Oh God, I release kindness, the kindness of Jesus over them this morning. And that it's that kindness that leads us to repentance, Father. Again, Lord, we thank you that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of healing. Today is the day of deliverance. Father, I pray for those here this morning that are believers, Father. Again, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll just uh, help us, Lord, enable us to preach your word with boldness, especially the message of salvation, Father, that we would preach that word with boldness. We thank you for Paul who preached that word with boldness. And give us that same boldness and more this morning to preach your word with boldness. We thank you for all that you're doing in this place, Father. We want more and more fruit. Manifesting. We want more and more of the kingdom of God being reproduced, not only in this congregation, but in this city. We thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, for this church, to be a part of the manifestation of your kingdom here in Mason City. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your power, your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is alive and indwells in us. In Jesus' name we pray